welcome to Camp Radio, a podcast of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Join us as we sit down with church leaders to discuss relevant trends and issues for today's church. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into a new episode of Camp Radio. Thank you for joining us on Camp Radio. My name is Kevin Page, and I'll be your host. Mental health across our country and our churches, as well as our pastors, have reached an all-time high. We have with us today Tony Rankin. Tony is a marriage and family counselor, and he is the Minister of Pastoral Care at First Baptist Nashville. And on top of all that, he is uh, uh, as... M- in more, I can't even describe it. You're, you're uh, helping with uh, interim pastoring, even though you're not to interim your own staff of First Nashville until they find a permanent Correct. pastor. Yes, the best way to desc- yeah, describe that. Yeah, the best that? way to describe yeah. it is I still pastor the congregation yes. other than uh, being in the pulpit every Sunday. Yeah, Tony has been a good friend, and we were just talking that uh, when I came 16 years ago to work for the convention, he was on staff as our counselor. Um, and um, so I've known him for 16 years. Yeah, hard it's to hard to believe it's been that long. I know. Yeah, and lots changed in our convention and, and our world. Yeah, it has. Well, let's just kind of dive into this, and, and tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, one of those uh, strange birds, it's uh, stayed in Nashville my whole life. Uh, my family's from Nashville. My wife's family's from Nashville. And uh, so I have the privilege of bumping into a lot of people I've known my whole life. But I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing the people um, that well, and uh, so I have, uh, I have, um, you know, served in several different roles uh, in churches. I was a youth and children's minister back in the '80s and '90s. Mm. Went into private practice 32 years ago. I've had the chance to uh, be connected with the convention and in private practice for 32 years, as well as working with my current church uh, mm. on staff. Yeah. So thoroughly enjoy that and getting the chance to do things like this. So during your times of just having uh, nothing to do, what do you do to relax? Actually, I enjoy collecting autographed baseballs. Oh, do you really? I was just talking to Lonnie in the lobby about uh, some new autographs I've gotten. And um, my wife said the other day that my hobby has become an obsession. Yeah. I just enjoy finding autographed baseballs, even if I don't know who the autograph is that's what i do in my free time is trying to figure an autograph out but i enjoy collecting autograph baseballs particularly of vintage players from right. the 60s 70s and 80s you know it's funny because um, you know when we lived in fort worth we went to a rangers game and so of course they had you know they sell them balls you just go in and they've been signed by one of the players and so your hope is that one day this player which you know i didn't know who the player was mm-hmm. and so you hope one day he'll be famous and that ball will be worth something mm-hmm. so i still have it. it it's probably not worth anything but you know it's just kind of fun to yeah, have that. It, it, it it may be worth something i don't collect to uh, collect for value i collect just for memories and just mm-hmm. enjoy of reflecting back when when i was younger and and also just trying to think what are those guys doing now yeah uh, I, you know bought a ball the other day and the day that Brooks Robinson passed away, and I always buy an autographed baseball of uh, a famous player right. who passes. And so it's just a it's a hobby. I literally work on it every day. Oh, do you really? Oh, yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to kind of disconnect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of disconnecting, well, let's talk a little bit about, more about the just 
mental health okay. in general. This is your expertise. You deal with uh, this and counseling people all the time, and it all has to do with uh, relationships, communication, mental health of people. Um, and so you're the expert in this. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. We can kind of talk. And I'm sure we could talk a lot more than just this one po- podcast mm-hmm. about mental health, especially when it comes to our pastors. But if we look back, and I know that mental health has been, and I, you know, I, I remember in uh, college talking about uh, mental health and how our country dealt with that one time years ago. And so all that kind of changed uh, because it was so expensive, I'm assuming was because mental health crisis was trying to take care of people as our population grow, grew just more expensive than we can afford. And so even though we might not have been doing a good job at that time, providing counseling or a mental institution, whatever it might have been, you know, whenever that date was, probably in the 50s, um, that uh, as our population grow, we end up with more and more problem people with mental health issues. So in the last three years, we, you know, we can, I know in, in our life, we can mark this spot within our life that events happen mm-hmm. and COVID's one of those things mm-hmm. so has that changed our society in, in the last three years with mental health yeah let's let's take the reference you made to 1950s mm-hmm. when mental health was kind of on the first on the forefront mm-hmm. it's been around for uh, you know hundreds of years in fact since the beginning of time but in the 50s we kind of looked at the mental health population uh, particularly those who were who were disturbed emotionally, mm-hmm. as probably about f- no more than five percent of our population. Mm-hmm. Uh, up till three or four years ago, we kind of looked at uh, our population with probably about the percentage of twenty five percent. We knew at any one given point, twenty five percent of all of our country uh, was experiencing some kind of depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. So twenty five percent used to be the marker three or four years ago. Yeah, once COVID hit. Mm-hmm that number doubled wow 40 to 50 percent of all of american um, um, residents experiencing some kind of emotional illness yeah and so it doubled and not just because of covid but covid forced it to, mm-hmm. to kind of come to the forefront so now we're even on kind of this side of covid we haven't seen those numbers drop down and we never will yeah wow. we just never will it's so we walk around, drive around, um, live with anxiety and depression and other emotional struggles uh, like never before. Well, with that, I mean, how do we, uh, uh, how, how is our society coping with that? Are we coping with it in general? Well, not really. I mean, we've, we've become more cynical. Mm-hmm. We've become more sarcastic. We've become more doubtful. Uh, we see even the way people drive an hmm. indication of how anxious and uptight people are. I mean, even the people who race in and out uh, trying to either relieve something or get pl- someplace earlier, but it's just an, an, uh, it's just an indicator mm-hmm. of how uptight our society is. So that way, uh, I don't know if that would give us any comfort. So we, when we're driving down the interstate and somebody blows their horn and, and is very rude to us, we know that they're probably struggling with some issues. Yeah. Who knows? And I, I say to myself, who knows what they're going through? Yeah. And instead of being the person who beeps back or swerves back or whatever, uh, we know we're dealing with people who are on the edge. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of scary. Mm, it really is. Yeah. So how does this translate into our congregations? I mean, every day, you know, uh, pastors who are listening to this right now, 
I, I know they they are aware. They're have they're counseling people constantly, and not only uh, and we say in general adults, but but uh, youth and children. And so, how does all this translate into a local church? Well, the world comes into our buildings every day of the week, mm-hmm. and no longer are we the safe haven or place that people go where they escape the world, we actually see the world come to us. So mm-hmm. the the 30 and 40 and 50% of the people I'm talking about are there on Sunday mornings, yeah. or they're on Wednesday nights, or they're during the week. So uh, the church is no different mm-hmm. than the, the ordinary population. So the very people who we're asking to serve or the pe- very people who get frustrated with our leadership are the very people who are also swerving in and out of traffic they're also uptight financially emotionally right so they're no different yeah well so that adds an extra load to our pastors mm-hmm. so how do how i mean how do we do that i mean we especially if a small church that has maybe 50 people they have the only full-time or we'll say by vocational pastor and they have a part-time secretary and he's he's working 40 hours a week another job and he is trying to not only preach on Sundays, Sunday nights, probably Wednesdays, and make hospital visits and deal with mental health. I mean, has that increased that load upon those pastors? Oh, yeah, tremendously, because uh, in the past, bivocational pastors have been the creative type who could juggle more than mm-hmm. one thing at a time, uh, uh, not only innovative but creative and energetic now we're asking those people to do that uh, quadruple the level. Yeah. And so it, the bivocational pastor has to figure out some way to compartmentalize, uh, to set some limits, to help the church realize you're going to have to help me here. I mm-hmm. can't do all this by myself. Uh, because those are the very pastors who uh, eventually burn out or quit because they can't keep it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about pastors. Um you know what? What are some you know pastors are dealing with these issues every day? If they're if they're listening to this podcast, if you could, and I know they could probably look this up on the internet. There's a number of different places which will tell you signs of burnout, and they're listening to this and their questions. So, am I at that place? What are some indicators of that? Well, let me define and maybe redefine burnout mm-hmm. uh, because we've used that term for a long time. In today's society, particularly ministerial society, uh, a new term we've kind of added over the last two decades has been compassion fatigue. Hmm. So sometimes what we're experiencing is compassion fatigue versus burnout. They're two hmm. different things. So uh, easily a pastor could go online and take, um, there's several compassion fatigue surveys they could take. It would just help them see, am I experiencing that or is it burnout? Mm-hmm. So some of that is uh, a satisfaction issue some of it is a fatigue issue some of it is I'm tired of this job issue mm-hmm. so doing a good compassion fatigue survey or test can help you determine which one is it burnout or compassion fatigue well so 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 define the difference between the two okay compassion fatigue is what I experience when I spend so much of my energy helping other people mm-hmm. with nothing in return mm. it's a giving and that giving and that giving that exhausting Mm. burnout is just kind of a i don't like to do this anymore Mm. it's not because i'm serving people it's because i'm tired of preparing to preach or i'm tired of dealing with the deacons or i'm tired of dealing with the person who wants to complain about the air conditioning in the sanctuary Mm -hmm. Um, 
the difference is people involved or kind of processes involved. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm more interested, quite honestly, I'm more interested in the pastor who's dealing with the compassion fatigue mm-hmm. because that's personal and right. that's more related to the calling as opposed to the, the vocational part of mm-hmm. pastoring. Yeah. Well, so what do you do with compassion and fatigue? I mean, how do you pace yourself through that so you won't experience that? For me, uh, Kevin, it's a matter of having people to call. Yeah, I was driving down here last night, and there are three or four people I called just to talk right. with. And so to deal with compassion fatigue means to be uh, mindful of what you're going through and realize, okay, there's a, a point in which I need to either talk to somebody, I need to take some time off, I need to, to realize, okay, I've got these situations that are demanding of me, but I'm going to have a break this weekend. I'm going to have a break next Tuesday or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's being very mindful of what's going on. So let me ask you how, say for example, somebody's experiencing compassion fatigue and they said, well, okay, I need some time off. Now, are you really, do, when do you feel that you've actually recovered to a point that from that, uh, that you, when you come back, that you feel somewhat refreshed that you can continue to move on? I mean, what if you take a day or two and you come back and think you don't feel any different. Or you take a week off and you come back and you're still kind of dreadiness and, and overwhelmed by that. I mean, where is that point that you determine that, uh, I, I, know, I don't want to overlap into burnout, but it sounds like it, you get to a point that I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And that's where recognizing what compassion fatigue is important because I don't know that you ever completely get over mm-hmm. compassion fatigue. If you're ministry-driven, compassion-driven, mm-hmm. uh, you're always going to have a little bit of this. Right. It's a matter of learning how to keep it in balance mm-hmm. and recognize I'm not going to be surprised when I go back and it's still there mm-hmm. on some level. But when I go back, I want to make sure I manage it mm-hmm. and manage it well. Right. Uh, for me, in I think I'd be a prime candidate to understand compassion fatigue is to make sure that every day you're doing something that takes your mind off the demands of loving people, Mm -hmm. i.e., for me, autographed baseballs. Uh, Having daily contact with somebody who can talk outside your world, Mm -hmm. who can encourage you, who can just be a friend, who can laugh, who can Mm -hmm. talk about something besides the demands of therapy or demands of, of hospice care or hospital visiting. Uh, so it has to be a regular, you know, a regular routine mm-hmm. of staying on top of it. Yeah. Well, and, and this is, this is, we're looking at something, I'm asking something very specific. Do you think laughter uh, is, if, if you regularly, uh, you know, have that time of enjoying laughter of someone, is that a big relief? Yeah, let me tell you, uh, research says that we ought to get so much exercise every day. Mm-hmm. We ought to spend so much time reading every day. Mm-hmm. We ought to spend so much time challenging ourselves mentally every day. Yeah, I've added to that list laughter. Mm-hmm. And you won't find it in the research much, but it's important as doing exercise, reading, sharpening your skills is important. Spending time with other people mm-hmm. and laughter is important. Mm-hmm. I've even put a time limit on it. I think a person ought to at least laugh 10 minutes a day. Oh, yeah. Now, some people say, well, I do that easily. Well, you got to be careful because a chuckle at right. your desk, you know, that gets you five or 10 seconds. But I'm talking right. about that, that 
that ability just to have fun and thoroughly laugh about something. Yeah. So I do believe 10 minutes a day of laughter is vital. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm typically a very serious person. I don't know why, you know, I, I tell, I tell other, my staff, I'll say, you know, I may look like I'm not, uh, smiling, but I'm smiling inside. I'm laughing inside. And I, I'll say that, but I tell you what, uh, I don't think I really experienced laughter until we had kids. Mm -hmm. And those times, especially the last three years, you know, when everything's kind of shut down, we spent more time. We, we would still go get some, go out to eat, but we'd sit in a car. And after it was all over, we still would go sit in a car and just laugh. And uh, to the point that, you know, one of those really big laughs that we all get, start laughing and we can't keep mm-hmm. stop from laughing it was such a relief you know and uh for someone who is it was very serious all the time it was like a light bulb that i thought wow mm-hmm. that made me feel so much better about things and we talked about that amongst uh, the family and said that that has that's almost like a stress relief just to enjoy spending time with each other and just laughing about things you know, I spend anywhere from four to 12 hours a day in therapy mm. talking to people. And the other day I had a client in my office, and he has serious, he has serious anxiety issues. Mm. Uh, can hardly even go anywhere oh. without experiencing debilitating anxiety. I started telling him a story uh, about me as a therapist, and he goes, Are you serious? You do that? You think like that? And, and it had to do with... Um, uh, you know, a crazy thought you get occasion when you wish you could bump somebody in their car and wish you had enough yeah. cash to pay for it. <laughs> Absurd. Yeah. But he began to laugh and chuckle. And literally for about 10 minutes, he said, I've never laughed so hard in months. Yeah. He said, I, I didn't know that my therapist yeah. laughed. <laughs> and it was a reminder of, of we have to be cognizant of the fact that everybody needs to do it, including yeah. those of us in the serving profession, yeah. pastors, therapists. Uh, we have to be very real to ourselves and allow ourselves to have fun as well. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about um, uh, pastors. And, and we talked about how this this extra load of just carrying the burdens of uh, mental health within our congregation. And, and so, obviously, I'm asking you, I guess this is a more rhetorical question. I think we all know, has the pastor or ministers within our churches has this affected their mental health? I mean, is there a crisis, maybe that's a strong word, among our ministers in a, concerning mental health? I don't think it's a strong word. In fact, I think it's just the minimal side of it. I think mm-hmm. our pastors are in significant emotional distress mm-hmm. uh, to, the, to the point of I think that's why the increase of pastors resigning and quitting or getting in some kind of moral failure mm-hmm. is happening because of where they are emotionally. Several things I'd say about that. One is we have pushed our pastors into uh, what I consider a performance trap. Hmm. Uh, They have to be perfect. They have to always be on. They have to make sure they don't mess up. They have to make sure they're free of criticism. And that performance trap um, squeezes them. Mm -hmm. Uh, No particular word, I'd also add the fact that the church that's going to grow, whether they're 50 strong or 1500 strong Mm -hmm. are only going to grow when their pastor is in some kind of recovery. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean recovery from 
alcohol addiction or pornography or any other kind of, uh, you know, uh, problem that our society looks at as far as addiction. Right. But we have to we have to be in some form of recovery hmm. constantly. So we're always getting over something. We're always dealing with something. We're always finding progress in something. Hmm. Uh, but if the pastor's not in some form of recovery, the church uh, will experience it as well. Hmm. So it's important for the pastor and the uh, anybody in the helping profession to uh, to be able to know how to take care of themselves. There's some version of you know self protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this earlier with um, humor, uh, doing some self-care. Uh, but it's important for the pastor to realize their role in the healthiness of the congregation mm-hmm. uh, starts with them and the ability to uh, to know where they are. Right. So, now, if, if pastors are, are dealing with uh, compassion, fatigue, or burnout, I mean, how does that affect their family in general? Well, it, it affects completely because they are an extension. Their emotions extend to their family, and their family will catch it mm-hmm. if, if they're not fully aware of it. Uh, and so not only do they need to kind of check their emotions at the door mm-hmm. when they come home, but also to be fully aware of how they're disconnecting at night or during the daytime and maybe some things their family can do to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember growing up as a young minister, uh, the rule at our house was uh, – because I was the one in charge of cooking, is if you want to help set the table, if you want to help cook, from 5 to 5.30, you're welcome to come into the kitchen. Yeah. But it's not the time to come ask Dad for a $5 bill or <laughs> Dad to sign a permission note because it was my, uh, it was my kind of uh, zone to kind of breathe yeah. and to prepare for the night. Yeah. Uh, i tell you another thing that, that helped me professionally and personally and I don't mind being very vulnerable here, but 12 mm-hmm. years ago, I realized that m- me calling me a perfectionist mm-hmm. was not good. Mm-hmm. I discovered that perfectionism is nothing more than a cover for anxiety. Mm-hmm. So here I thought I was doing the world a favor by being Mr. Perfect. It was nothing more than me avoiding being criticized or being um, looked at negatively or making a mistake. But once I could accept the fact that my perfectionism was nothing more than a cover for my anxiety. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I became real to my family, real to my friends, real to my colleagues, and I'm a whole lot more enjoyable to be around now than I was 12 years ago. Yeah, because I've accepted my own humanness, and I think mm-hmm. that's some sometimes where where ministers miss it because mm-hmm. they don't realize they can do that. Right, their congregations have expected them to be perfect, but more more dangerous than that, they've expected themselves to be perfect. Yeah. And in no place in the spiritual realm is that mm-hmm. something that we can acqu- acquire. So I'm assuming that's where that term ministry is a lonely, lonely place has come from. And so what do pastors do? I know, you know, one of the things that we have done is off the grid project, which was is help pastors to get out and spend time with other pastors. But the whole purpose of it is that it is two nights, three days, and it gives enough time for them to relax and not feel intimidated or have this, uh, you know, certain uh, f- facade that they're this way and then be able to interact with other people. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how does a pastor work at getting to that point that they can really be real and, and, and not be fearful uh, of being criticized in any way? 
I'm going to tell a story, and I'm not going to mention any names because uh, I go to church with these people. Right. Uh, but I got uninvited hmm. to do a funeral recently. Yeah. Huh. The family had asked me to do it. I prepared the funeral, the service. And because I was unavailable mm-hmm. by phone, and I had to do with wrong numbers being called, nonetheless, right. I had to accept the reality that I just got uninvited to do a funeral because I am human. Yeah. Hmm. It's only twice in my life I've ever been uninvited to speak, but this was more personal because uh, I was this person's pastor. Hmm. But because of life, yeah. technology, schedule, sleep, uh, being worn out, being unavailable, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, I was not the perfect pastor. Yeah. And so it's a matter of being okay with the fact you're just going to have that happen. Right. I was telling a friend about it on the way up here last night, and uh, we started laughing about it. Yeah. You know, I was still at the funeral. I still could have preached the person's funeral. Yeah. But it was I was standing there in the midst of all the grieving people going, most pastors are never uninvited right. uh, to do a funeral. Yeah. But it was the reality of I couldn't keep up the level of expectation right. uh, of, of, of people I love. Right. Uh, so it's a matter of helping pastors, you know, gain the sense of it's okay to be human mm-hmm. and normal. Yeah. And, uh, and, and not worry about criticism that's going to happen when you are. Right. Well, I mean, it, yeah, you can't, you can't please everyone. Right. Um, and then we just have to accept that. We run ourselves in the ground uh, and kill ourselves, literally, uh, because we, you know, we may end up in the hospital because we feel like we are, we had to work, 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 trying to be that perfect person for all of our congregation, and we just can't possibly do that. You, you know, uh, Kevin, I sleep with a um, earpod in my ear. Mm-hmm. I hear every phone call. Mm. I hear every text. I never miss it. Yeah, twenty four seven. Last night, when I was driving up the mountain, I uh, ran out of phone service. Yeah, did a UE, drove back down to the truck stop to finish the conversation, hmm. and the person said, "I thought you were out of reach." I said, "I went back to where I had service," but when I pulled up to the parking lot, twelve mm-hmm. thirty. Yeah, uh, I sat there and go, "You're disconnected." Yeah. <laughs> And it took me a while to go to sleep because I'm thinking I'm disconnected. But finally, yeah. I was able to say, that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. The world is going to be here in the morning when you reconnect. Right. Uh, you know, we all want to be available when the crisis happens. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we have to disconnect. Right. And uh, I know you've done some things with pastors here at Carson Springs. It's wonderful to help ministers connect with each other and to disconnect from their from their worlds uh, the, uh, sometimes it's the cell service that just needs to remind us right. that we live in an imperfect world mm-hmm. and we're not always available yeah and that's okay yeah and we have to be okay with that yeah I have found that you know I was I, I was guilty or have been guilty of um, when I would finish up work I would take my work home with me to work on it more and I was just it was I was exhausted you know emotionally from that 
and I wasn't spending time with my family like I needed to. So I just decided I was going to stop doing that. And then the other thing that, that I did was was very helpful that actually surprisingly gave me um, it, 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 it lessened my anxiety. It was I turned the notification off of my emails. Now I still get my texts, mm-hmm. but you know I constantly get emails, and so I just turned it off. So I don't get those notifications at all, and and that has made a difference. Mm-hmm. Just that little bitty. Uh, just the notification of getting that. I carry my phone with me all the time. Uh, I'm always on call. And, you know, uh, of course, it's different than being at a church. But uh, just by not worrying about emails, if, they, if it's in critical, then they'll send me a text. You know, I get a lot less than. So those little things mm-hmm. can make a difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So why are, why are pastors so hesitant uh, for example, at times we might need a counselor. Mm-hmm. If we if if talking to a friend is just not enough, why are people in general, and pastors are more so, I guess, to actually talk to a counselor? I think there's still the stigma. It's not as great as it was back in the '60s and '70s, uh, but there's still a stigma about going to counseling mm-hmm. or therapy. And I have been extremely vulnerable with my clients to say I know what it's like to sit on the couch mm-hmm. and they sometimes go a therapist mm-hmm. in fact I had a lady get up and leave the other day she goes I said where are you going she goes well I'm going to go find a therapist who who has never seen a therapist who doesn't have any problems <laughs> and I said good luck with that <laughs> so it's it's a matter of admitting uh, that it's okay and then to allow ourselves to be okay and it, we have to realize it's it's a way we set an example for our congregations. Yeah. If we're unwilling to get help, why should we expect the people in the pew uh, to go themselves to get help? Right. Yeah. So part of that is just we just need to suck it up. Oh, yeah. And just be normal. Just and, be normal. And, uh, you know, if I ever get a chance to write another book, I'm going to write one entitled Enough. Because hmm. I think most of us are striving to do enough to be accepted or to be loved uh, but we all get to the point where we've had enough mm-hmm. and if we could ever get to the point where you could accept mm-hmm. what enough is and yeah. be okay with the fact we've done enough uh, somebody asked me the day so when you die what what's going to be on your tombstone mm-hmm. i said one word enough yeah and i'm gonna let people decide what that means right either i've had enough or I did enough, yeah. <laughs> or God's enough, whatever. But I do think there is a uh, some uh, solitude that comes with the helping profession. Mm-hmm. That we get to the point where we know you've done enough. Yeah. And there's only so much you can be. Yeah. Do. So uh, if you were to give some advice, if you were to give to, you know, uh, maybe one, two, three things that pastors need to do to help. Uh, protect himself to to not, not maybe not protect well protect himself would be wording, but to uh, help with their mental health to be more healthy. What would they do? No particular order, but I'd do things like uh, have a hobby mm-hmm. that you can that you can uh, turn to at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I choose to do mine five or six days a week just because mm-hmm. uh, I think I need that. I think to find someone to talk to on a regular basis, mm-hmm. uh, a good friend, you've got to be careful. It can't be any friend because most people can't keep 
keep good secrets. Right. Uh, but to be having a good friend and even find time occasionally to have a therapist to talk to. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to look at this becoming one of your doctors, but maybe you do some trade-off like that. You know, Doc, if you'll help me uh, with this part of my world, you know, I'll do something for you on the mm-hmm. spiritual nature. Yeah. Uh, so to, to do a hobby, uh, to have someone to talk to, to do some self-care where you do nothing. Mm. Get outside, you walk, you enjoy the mountains, you enjoy the neighborhood, whatever where you, you're just completely unplugged. Yeah. And then get to the point where you just accept yourself yeah. for who you are and practice being as opposed to doing and being, you know, the creation that, that God uh, made. Because uh, I guarantee he's dissatisfied when we do the majority of what the church thinks we should do. Yeah. So someone's listening right now, how or or where would they go find a counselor who i guess what to, what that's important to mm-hmm. and where would they find that counselor well i realize there may be people who are you know listening from east tennessee or from tennessee or from other states and mm-hmm. that's all relative uh you want to you probably want to rec- find somebody in your area that's a noteworthy counselor and just say who are some people that i could call or i could refer to mm-hmm. uh, i i have found it healthy to find somebody in your area who could kind of be your go-to person for you as well as church members that you who you fully trust. There are some organizations that you go online. I'm, I'm a little bit leery of recommending places because places disappoint us all the time. Right. But there's some healthy uh, psychological search uh, terms that you could look at. Uh, there are some, you know, uh, organizations that are accredited by Christian organizations that you can return to. Uh, at some point in our convention, the Tennessee Baptist uh, Mission Board uh, has an access number that you can call if you want to provide that at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm available to churches and pastors who are in crisis to um, help them over the phone and then help them uh, find somebody in their area mm-hmm. that they might want to go to. Yeah. And and you, tell me if this is true, but usually within maybe an hour of most places, they're could be a large larger church that has some sort of counselor maybe on staff Correct. or part-time that they could reach out to i find that uh, across the americas i make referrals that generally within 45 minutes mm-hmm. there's somebody that you can get to and yeah. most of us most people drive 45 minutes to work yeah yeah unfortunately or to the grocery store depending right. on how remote area you live in so there are places uh, and at some point you're welcome to uh to provide people my information if you want to, and I'd be glad to help them. Okay, great. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you spending a few minutes. I know you got to go in and, and uh, teach a seminar here in just a minute, but uh, just taking a few minutes and talk about this this issue, and you know, maybe we can come back sometime when you're this way, and we can talk more to. about some different things. If uh, those who are listening to us right now, if you're listening to iTunes or Spotify, please leave a comment or just follow us. That will help others to uh, encourage them to listen to this great resource. If you have any questions for Tony or what we do at TM Baptist Camps, please send us an email at carsonpodcast at tmbaptist.org. Until next time, I hope that you look for opportunities to start a conversation about Christ with someone you know. Thank you for listening to Camp Radio, a podcast of TM Baptist Camps. Ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. 
For more information, visit tnbaptistcamps.org or you can email us at carsonpodcast at tnbaptist.org. 